Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. Most people will ask, why would a hacker want to attack my small business? The answer is twofold. Small businesses are generally more innovative than larger established businesses, and they are easier to break into. In this episode, we're going to discuss what items can be done to greatly improve your security posture without greatly affecting your pocketbook. We would never expect non-security folks to become experts in security, but we can direct you to a few items which will better protect you, your employees, and your small business. Every small business has a huge amount of challenges they have to face. The first challenge, as an owner of a small business, you have to wear a ton of different hats. If it's just you and your small business, you're wearing all the hats. You're your IT support team, you're the accountant, and your business development person, as well as whatever tasks you're supposed to be doing to make money. So you have to be the professional consultant, you have to be the designer or whatever. It is increasingly overwhelming as as time goes on, as it seems, for small businesses to get up and start and become profitable. And then to add to all this, we are now wanting people to focus or worry about security of their small business. And a lot of small business you know, owners will just be like, oh, I don't I don't have time to worry about security. Like, why am I going to be hacked? And unfortunately, the answer is you'll be hacked because you have that mindset of why would I be hacked? Right. You will be an easy target. And a lot of these larger hacking groups or larger organized crimes that are using digital attacks against individuals will target small businesses because they're super easy. It's a numbers game. If you can attack 100 people successfully and get $1,000 out of every single one of them or attack one company successfully and get $10,000 out of them, you're like, okay, why am I attacking one person when I can just attack 100 people more easily and quicker than I could that one company. With all this, small businesses are facing more challenges than ever. We have business restrictions due to government regulations. We have scammers who are trying to swindle you out of all your money and savings. And this isn't talking about scammers that are you know, using hacks and stuff like that to attack your company. This is just general business scammers. So individuals that will say, come to my business academy and I will teach you how to trade stocks or come to my business academy and I'll teach you how to make your first million dollars. I'd sign up for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do. A lot of people do sign up for this stuff. And then they go and they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. They spend their whole life savings because they're going to make it all back. That's what they think. They're going to make it all back. And they never do because... That person's business model is not making money based off the formula that they've generated. That person's business <laughs> model is making, yeah, making yep. money off you, yep. right? They're selling courses. If, if, if it was as easy to make a million dollars as they claim it is, they would just keep on rinsing and repeating that. Yeah. And it, it, it is, but instead they spend, they, they have you pay $3,000 for a training course. And that's not to say all training courses are bad. I just get skeptical when I hear a training course that will say like, oh, this training course will give you a million, it will like, you know, make you a million dollars in the near future or anything like that. If the training course says you will gain more knowledge about this subject, great. That's an accurate assessment of the training course. Uh, but if it says anything like you'll make all you'll make 20 times the amount of money uh, in the next week than what you spent on this course. Yeah, that's probably a scam. <laughs> and there's actually some really good YouTube videos talking about scams. But we're, we're not we're, this episode isn't about those type of people who try to swindle you out of your money. This is about hackers that are trying to actively attack your company, not just because you have something innovative, but just because you're easy. And this is, they want to steal not just your money, but they can steal your IP, your clients list, start blackmailing your clients, all, all this type of item. I want to highlight one thing there, Drew, that uh, yeah. another another common misconception when people ask, like, why would they, why would they target me? 
the answer is actually like they're not targeting you. They're targeting they're they're casting a wide net, right? Like that they're, they're not specifically targeting you. They might not specifically be targeting your small business, but they're harvesting credentials or sending out all of these mm-hmm. phishing emails or whatever. And so you shouldn't think about like, well, who would want to do that to me? It could be that it has nothing to do with you. It's just that your email address or your phone number or your business is on some much longer list uh, that has, you know, that didn't really have much discretion when being assembled because again, they're, they're casting a very wide net and hoping to just catch a few. So it's not so much who would want to target me. It's everybody's getting targeted and you can fall victim because of that. Exactly. This possibility increases if you're running your small business and you're still using your Gmail to run your small business, right? Your Gmail that you're using for all your personal stuff that you've used for 10 years, mm-hmm. it's probably on some some type of list. So, and we see this a lot where small businesses will still be using their Gmail. Hell, this week I saw someone that was using an AOL email. I shit you not. Like, I was like, damn, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. I didn't even know that thing. I didn't even know that was still a thing. Uh, I'm sure their email is on tons of lists that's been stolen before. So, Drew, on the topic of the different worries that you have to have as a small business, what are the most likely ways that you are going to get targeted and attacked? The number one way you're going to get targeted and attacked as a small business is going to be through phishing emails or phishing links and social engineering. And this doesn't necessarily have to be targeted. This might just be widespread. They, these attackers bought an email list from an advertising company or they bought a leaked email list from the dark net and your email just so happens to be on it. So they're not necessarily targeting you in the sense that you are going to be, uh, you know, their next victim that they've done a ton of research on. They're sending out tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of emails. And your email just so happens to be that one. And it will say, you know, oh, hey, we have an accounting problem. Or, oh, hey, there is a problem with your files in whatever state that you're in that your business is registered in. The other thing you got to worry about is malware, right? Malware is everywhere. Viruses are everywhere. But more importantly, what you really need to worry about with malware is a ever-increasing trend that's been going on for, I don't know, for over eight years now, ransomware, which is malware that will install on your computer and then lock you out of everything of your computer unless you pay some absorbent fee. If you're lucky, the absorbent fee is only a few thousand dollars. If you're not lucky, the absorbent fee is untold hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. Uh, I, I forget what the most expensive ransom ever paid was, but it was such an amount that when you hear it, you're like, okay, if they would have spent that on actually preparing and backing up their systems or checking their backups, which I believe is the case, their backups didn't work, uh, it, it would have been better spent and would have cost them less than that ransom to get all their data back. The other big problem with small businesses that you're going to face, just stolen laptops. Now, in COVID-19, not a lot of people are doing travel. But when travel comes back up, people are hurting financially. So they might go to the routes of theft. And electronics are easy to sell on things like Facebook, Craigslist, if that's what people are still using, and, and other sites. So stolen laptops is definitely one thing that you have to worry about as a small business. Because a lot of small businesses, their small business is their cell phone and their laptop, and that's it. And if the laptop gets stolen, all your customer data gets stolen as well. Employees, if you have an employees at a secondary level of problems, uh, if they reuse credentials everywhere, such as their personal emails, password is the same password they use for their work email. It's the same password they use to log into all their client systems that they have access to or to access all the files for your clients. Uh, this is not uncommon. And, and or they'll use similar passwords. We ran into a case during COVID-19. I've been working with a city here in Arizona to help small businesses direct themselves for or or better themselves to while they're trying to conduct business during COVID-19. And 
we found a case where someone was not there like, oh, I don't use the same password everywhere. Uh, but their password for their personal account was like password one. And their password for their business account was password two. And I was like, ah, yes, let me guess what your password is for this critical application that is required for you to function as a business. Password three. And sure enough, it was password three. Mm-hmm. With that, oh, no. uh, obviously, it wasn't actually password one, two, and three. It, it was a small variations of that. But they they were just like, oh, yeah, see, I'm not using the same password. And though correct, it, it is. <laughs> it's not the best example of how to be secure. And then with employees outside of that, let's just say you have a disgruntled employee. They're unhappy, does something bad. They go rogue, right? This is the unfortunate reality. And and this is actually a reality I believe will be ever increasing, not necessarily with small businesses, but with larger corporations, but definitely can affect small businesses even harder is if you have a disgruntled employee and they can just cause total havoc to the point where it can lead to near shutdown or, or shutdown of your business just because this one employee goes totally rogue and they start posting all your client data or something like that online. The other item that we have, if, and just to add, you know, more layers onto you of, of things you have to worry about as a small business owner, if you, and if you're using a service where the credentials are on some type of site that is insecure. So they store the site stores credentials incorrectly. This is something that you don't really have control over. This is just something. And sometimes you have to use these sites because a client is using these sites and the client doesn't necessarily know that how the site operates or, or how they work on the back end is in some type of insecure fashion. But if you're using those reused passwords, if, if your employee is using passwords for every single account, the same password, if this site gets compromised, now you're going to run into the problem of all your access for everything that uses those same credentials, which it could be everything, everything is now compromised. And it's out of your control, which is the worst thing to hear as a business owner. Being a small business owner myself, when I hear something is like totally out of my control, it, it frustrates me a little bit. I, I run into this with my payroll system uh, that I use. I won't name it because I'm very angry at them for still not having this in 2020. Uh, they're a large payroll company, and they do not have two-factor. Two-factor has been a feature they've said that is going to be coming, I don't know, five years ago. Still, Still doesn't have it, right? That's out of my control. There's nothing I can do for that. Now, I can go and use a different payroll service. But uh, as a small business owner, I really hate setting that type of stuff up. And then I have to reset up all my you know, health benefits for my employees and stuff like that. Uh, it just becomes a super huge hassle. So we just have to mitigate that by having the password super long and we change it extremely frequently on that site. The claim that two-factor is coming in 2021, though. They also said that in 2015, so I don't really believe it. But that's an example of something totally out of my control with this. Now, we're going to talk about some of the items that you can do. And a lot of small business owners will instantly go on the defensive when you talk about security and they'll say, I'm not a techie. Great. They'll say things like, I'm not a security professional. Awesome. I expect you to be none of those things. I expect you to be the best at what you do and then have a surface level knowledge of other items. So this doesn't mean that you have to be a techie, but this means that you have to know what antivirus is. This doesn't mean that you have to be a security professional, but this does mean that you have to know what backing up your data files looks like and how to do that. But everything that we're going to recommend in this first part, starting with the, the cheap and free items, everything on this list is what I call the Red Mesa uh, mom-approved software. And what I do is there are certain pieces of software that I install on my mother's and my mother-in-law's computer, and I have them use it as on a daily basis. And if with li- limited guidance, and if they can't solve how to use the software... And if it does not replace something that they currently do, 
such as text messaging. There's a app that we'll get into that is a secure text messaging app. If that was too hard for them to figure out, well, it wouldn't go on this list. These first few items will all fall underneath this. My mother and my mother-in-law are self-proclaimed, will say they are not tech folks. So if they can figure this stuff out, you can figure this out without having to be a techie, without having to be a security professional. But these little items are going to greatly improve your security posture. Now that we've covered the different ways that you're most likely to get attacked as a small business and then kind of just briefly repeat them again, hit with malware. The credentials that are being used have somehow been compromised, whether or not that's on a secondary site, whether that's in a password dump somewhere, you know, various ways that that, that can happen. But basically, credentials to sensitive uh, documents or access have been compromised um, or like your device gets stolen, right? So malware, social engineering, compromise, device gets stolen. How do we, how do we protect ourselves against those sorts of scenarios? There's a number of easy things that we can do. And first and foremost, make sure your computer is up to date. Uh, it's such a simple thing. And honestly, myself, as somebody that, that is in the security industry, I know when those pop-ups come up, it's like, hey, your computer's ready to update. All right, should you, should you restart now? And I was like, yeah, delay an hour, delay an hour. Like, it's obnoxious, but keeping your software up to date is a great way to prevent some of the easiest attacks, right? Because a lot of these updates will have security updates in them um, and you just get them for free. And they're, they're trying to give them to you and me, I'm just like sometimes reluctant about it. But that's something you can do that's, that's very low cost. On Windows, uh, you get something called Windows Defender. You want to make sure that it is both installed and on. Uh, and that's going to be kind of the out-of-the-box antivirus that, that Windows comes packaged with. You have something similar on Mac which is called uh, Bitdefender. And that's paid for, but it's not particularly expensive. And this is just going to give you kind of a basic level of, of protection because, again, malware is A, quite common. B, there's an, an absolute plethora of it out there. Uh, and C, a lot of it has already been cataloged. So if it's malware that is being used in some of these like large-scale spray and pray, I'm going to send hundreds of thousands of emails out and hope somebody downloads this attachment, whatever, that malware has likely been seen before. And if it's been seen before, it's usually something that these different pieces of software can protect against. Uh, it's the new malware that that is kind of not, not sent out to everyone. That is that is not going to be caught by, by antivirus. So, so it's great to have a basic level of antivirus on your machine. Windows Firewall is also something that you get kind of out of the box with, with Windows, and that's going to prevent machines connecting to services that you have running on your device. Um, I'm not sure what the default firewall rules are in um, uh, on, on Apple devices, uh, but you can get an additional layer of firewall protection, again, by going with Bitdefender. That's the same thing that's going to give you your antivirus. And so... Credential compromise is a huge common problem, and uh, I, I highly encourage anybody that's listening to this that has more interest in learning how to keep your credentials safe, listen to our Passwords podcast uh, episode where we talk about, we, we go into this in depth, uh, but basically, you should know that passwords are super prevalent, uh, easily compromised, and uh, it, it, an inherently flawed design solely due to kind of the way that humans operate. Like we're not particularly good at remembering things uh, as such, keeping really complicated passwords that use a bunch of different characters and, and all these different kind of letters and numbers and underscores and spaces and all that. We have a really hard time remembering them. So we don't, we don't tend to actually use really complicated passwords and a lot of the more complicated passwords we do use are actually personally related to us. Like they'll have numbers in it, like uh, <clears throat> like maybe the last four of your social or your street number or your birth year or things like that. But numbers that are meaningful to you. Anyway, th things of that nature. And we reuse them all the time. So credentials are heavily reused, easily compromised. And one of the ways that you can protect against that is using something called a password vault. 
And the general idea behind this is you, you can think of it similar to a physical safe that you have, like where you're putting all of your, all of your sensitive documents inside. Um, you're going to need one code to get in, but once you get in, you have access to all of the other codes. Uh, so the one that I use is LastPass. There's another one that uh, Drew uses called KeepAss. And the the way that these work is you will have them like probably installed in your browser and then also installed on your mobile device. And, the, and you will want to have a very long and complicated password to get into it. Uh, but then after that, it will basically have all of your passwords for all of your other services. And when you have something like this, instead of you having to remember your passwords, you can actually use your password vault to generate new passwords for new sites. So again, you have long, complicated password to get in in the first place. But then once you're in, you can use you store all of your other credentials in this vault and it makes it so that you're not reusing the same password on all these different sites. Speaking of making it hard for compromised credentials to affect your business, uh, you're going to want to enable multi-factor authentication wherever possible. And multi-factor authentication is, is widely available now. And what it is, is you, you've probably used it before. It's quite common on the larger social media sites where when you try to log in with your username and password, it'll prompt you and say like, hey, this looks like a new device. We haven't seen this before. We're going to send you a text message with a code. Please enter the code that we send you in here, and then we'll let you in. Now, that's not the best form of multi-factor authentication by a long shot. There's a lot of problems with SMS-based uh, multi-factor authentication. But just offering it as an, as an example, because multi-factor authentication is you need multiple factors of authentication to be let in. It's not sufficient to just have your password. You must also have a secondary code or a secondary artifact that enables you to identify yourself. So the way that would be better to do is uh, using, I personally use Google Authenticator. There's other apps. I think the Duo app also has this built in as well. Um, but the way that the way that multi-factor authentication with Google Authenticator works is you, you like go into your account, you'll say set up multi-factor authentication. You open the Google Authenticator app on your phone, and then you hit add, uh, like scan new code. And in the account where you're trying to set this up, you will be presented with a QR code. And then in the app, you'll have the camera open and you scan it. And then all of a sudden, that is now registered into your Google Authenticator app. And you get a rolling number in your phone now that is required to sign in. So what does that look like? Well, now when you go to uh, when you go to log into the service, you type in your username and password, you submit it, and then it says, "Okay, give us the current number on your device." And you have to open up Google Authenticator and you look for the entry where it's like, "Oh, this is this this is the number for this particular service." And this number refreshes, I think, like every 15 or 30 seconds, but basically it changes um, regularly. And you need to know that number on your phone in order for you to successfully authenticate. And now that might seem quite similar to, well, why don't they just send it to me via text message? Um, and it is similar in concept, but it's not anywhere near the same with respect to how can people compromise that number. Basically, there's flaws in the way that uh, SMS messages are sent, and the way that uh, you can kind of take over somebody else's um, take over somebody else's phone number to receive SMS messages, but if it's just coming from an app that is on the phone, then somebody would have to compromise your physical phone as well as having access to your credentials to now authenticate as you. And this is entirely free. the The multi-factor authentication is just kind of a value add for a lot of online services, especially sensitive online services. And the Google Authenticator app is free. So really, multi-factor authentication, put it anywhere around services that are really valuable to you. Because it, I mean, Drew, I'm sure you've been in the situation where you're on a pen test and you've got a boatload of credentials and now you're trying to use them to log in all over the place, except multi-factor authentication is required. And what what is your response usually at that point? My response, if they have a push system where it like pushes a notification that says hey are you trying to log in is i hope they are so distracted they just hit yes but if they don't if they're just using the the six digit number that changes every one minute 
that I'm like, okay, now base, best case scenario, we're doing a physical and we're going to find phones online, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. uh, worst, worst case scenario, we're like, well... Another way factor now. works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, n- now we need to look at more complex attacks like s- SIM swapping or or stuff like that, which is not something we generally have time for on a lot of tests. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but it is it, it it makes it significantly harder for us if we got a thousand credentials and we know two factors enabled on every single one of them. Then you have zero credentials. Yeah, we have that, and that's what we try to tell people: is we have a thousand, we have, we have a thousand combinations of random letters and words. Yeah, uh, none of it helps us right now. And, and we really need to reemphasize that if you do get a push notification for your two-factor authentication, do not just click it. Don't answer because, it. Yeah. because people do that. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, that's how I'm going. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. That's that's honestly the the number one the number one way for me to attack a multi-factor authentication system is by pushing that notification to people's phones and hoping that they just accept it and it does work. Like, it works. Yeah. Anyways, I, I digress. The like, I cannot stress the importance of multi-factor authentication uh, enough. Like multi-factor authentication taken in conjunction with having a password vault is going to get you so much of the way there to being in a in a relatively secure position. Also, install Firefox. So, you know, people can say what they want about Chrome. Um, I think Safari is pretty good as well. I don't know too much about Edge. Uh, but at the same time, if you think about kind of like who made Firefox and what is the current state of Firefox, like the likelihood that your data is going to be going to the wrong places in Firefox is probably the lowest out of any of those. Maybe maybe Safari is, is roughly on the same same footing. But Firefox is a modern browser, not likely to be compromised, not likely to be selling your data. Gotcha. Okay. And then and then install uBlock Origin. And this is a, uh, a personal favorite of Drew's. Yeah. So uBlock Origin is a ad blocker that works with Firefox and Chrome. I use Firefox personally. But unlike other ad blockers, other ad blockers will actually have a tag that people can pay for and now their ads will be supported ads so it doesn't block everything uBlock origin just says hey ads we hate you and smashes them in the face and which is why i really like using uBlock origin now their business model might change but right now as far as i'm aware they do not allow any ads and this works in your favor because now you can watch your youtube videos without being interrupted Right. You can actually browse to websites that have important information without being bombarded with unsolicited ads. But more importantly, ads is one way that individuals that are trying to compromise uh, people through phishing or social engineering ads have been used before in the past. And now you're just eliminating that attack vector for them which is something you don't even have to think about. It's totally transparent to your daily use of a website. One other thing that, and this is something that has kind of come up more and more in recent years. Like if you looked at the landscape of what are the most impactful ways a business is going to get compromised, maybe like 10 years ago, you're talking about domain admin, you're talking about somebody gaining administrative control of all the devices, uh, things of that nature. But it's 2020 and kind of the the modern equivalent of that is like if you've ever gone to a website and hit like sign in with Google or sign in with Facebook or sign in with Apple all of these like sign in with this other technology generally speaking this is this is a great way to uh, to protect yourself because if i go to some random website and i choose to use sign in with Google then the the protocol that that uses uh basically makes it so that in order for somebody to compromise your account on this third-party website that you just authenticated to, they actually have to compromise your Google account. And now that's a great place to be in because Google has a lot of money invested in security. They have really good security in a lot of ways. Uh, and meanwhile, this other third-party website is likely has nowhere near the same amount of resources or attention paid to its security. So that's a great way to kind of anytime that you use one of those sign in with whatever uh, technologies, you're effectively 
putting the security guarantees of the account you're using to sign in with, whether that's Google, Facebook, Apple, whatever, and using those requirements, uh, uh, that, that criteria against a, a third-party website. Now, the problem with that is the protocol that's being used there is something called OAuth. And one of the really cool things about OAuth is you can give what is called an OAuth grant to another website. So uh, in, in that process, let's say that I'm signing into foo.com and I'm using Google to do that. Uh, typically, when I'm when I'm choosing the account to sign in with, well, or at least the flow will go. I'll go to foo.com. I'll hit sign in with Google. I'll be redirected to a page on Google's website that says, oh, which account would you like to log in with? And then once I choose that account, it'll say, okay, here are the permissions that you're giving to foo.com. And if it's just signing in, typically it'll be nothing. It'll just say like, oh, you're giving them your email address. But this is the, and, and this is kind of the, the double-edged sort of OAuth is you can give full access to your account in that sign-in process. So you really need to be diligent when looking at the list of permissions that you are providing to this third-party website before you hit approve. Now, in all likelihood, it's just going to be the requesting your email address so that uh, once you finish signing in, they can get your email address from Google and that's how they're going to identify you and be able to send you communications. But uh, there are absolutely malicious applications and malicious sites out there that when you hit sign in with Google and you go to that page, it'll be like, oh, yeah, they're requesting every single permission for your Google account. So they're requesting administrative access to your email. They're requesting administrative access to your Google Drive. They're requesting the ability to send emails to you. They're getting all these permissions. And if you don't keep an eye on what permissions you're providing to this third party, then using this whole sign in with Google or sign in with Facebook uh, process is actually putting you in a much worse position. So again, 10 years ago, it was, oh, we're going to compromise all of the infrastructure that sends email or like handles document management, stuff of that nature. And now it's just, oh, you handle that all through Google. So I'm just going to ask for way more permissions that I need, and hopefully you'll give them to me. And that's how I'm going to get access to all the sensitive information. So that's something to be, be uh, diligent of as well. Um, another, one other thing is back up your files, right? Like if you do only have that one laptop or you do only have that one device that has all the sensitive data, what's going to happen when that device either crashes, you spill coffee on it, it gets stolen out of the back of your car, who knows? Back up those files onto a flash drive and keep that flash drive somewhere not next to, uh, not next to your laptop or phone. So this next one is incredibly relevant now that we're working remotely during these pandemic times. Uh, we actually had an episode on this a little while back. It's VPNs. Um, at, at a high level, a VPN, when you're using a VPN service, it allows you to create a secure tunnel from where you are on your computer to the destination. And this is relevant for small businesses uh, because it allows you, uh, if you're using a VPN, to connect to your on-premises uh, resources as if you were sitting on the local network at your office. And what's great about that is you get all of the benefits of your uh, perimeter defenses at your office. So if you end up wanting to and do some work at, say, a Starbucks, connect to your VPN, which connects to your office, and you'll be good to go. Our recommendation for VPN to use is ExpressVPN. Drew, you might want to chime in here. Uh, I don't know if case precedence on handing over files to the FBI is you know, super relevant for most local businesses, but it is a nice thing to have. There are when I when I look at VPNs, there are a certain things I'm looking for, especially when it's a single use VPN. And what I mean by that is I'm the only one who's using it. I look for VPNs that have case precedents where they have been requested for data on a user and they can provide nothing or just encrypted blobs to whoever's requesting for it. And it's not necessarily because I'm worried about the FBI coming and, 
you know, seizing everything of mine or whatnot. It's because that actually lets me know they are truly not keeping logs of my data. They are truly not tracking things that I'm doing, uh, which just as from a privacy standpoint and a small business owner makes me feel better about that. Mm-hmm. Now, ExpressVPN is great if you have a single user. So if it's just you and your small business, you can use that. We'll talk about another VPN service here in a little bit that you can use if you have multiple users. Uh, it does not actually have the same level of security. There are logs, um, but there are logs that you can view for your company's security purposes. Uh, but ExpressVPN has case precedent of not tracking uh, its users or storing its users' data and, and tendencies within their logs, which is what I'm a huge fan for. Anything that gives me more privacy and improved security, I'm always going to be a fan of. Oh, thanks for the clarification, Drew. Uh, does ExpressVPN not offer a business class VPN? They do not have that solution currently. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so next up, we have secure messaging. Uh, for secure messaging, we highly recommend using Signal Messenger. Uh, that's what uh, all of us use here. I've also been able to get uh, my entire family on Signal. It's very easy to use. It is free and open source. And what makes Signal um, so nice is it offers uh, the encrypted messaging it, it requires the keys on each endpoint. So there's no intermediate third party that could um, uh, decrypt and read your messages. Uh, unlike something like, for example, Facebook Messenger or Google Hangouts or whatever Google's latest messaging app is. Next up, uh, this is a recommendation that we briefly discussed before Recording, and I'm not, I don't know if we're all on the same page here. We recommend to, or some of us recommend to not use biometric, uh, biometric authentication to unlock your devices. I know personally, I really like my fingerprint unlock on my phone. I don't use, I do use my fingerprint to unlock my MacBook. Oh, what do you guys think? I use the, I use face ID for like everything on my iPhone. So and I know that there's, I know that there are, well, with Face ID, it's not so easily subverted. Some of the facial recognition software is easily subverted. Um, but just biometrics in general are, to me, strike a nice balance between it's going to be easy to use and it's also going to be relatively hard to break. But to Drew's point, in some situations, um, biometrics can be somewhat easily bypassed. Yeah, so iPhone, as Chris was talking about, uh, as far as I'm aware, there is no simple attack against the Face ID portion of it. Things like Windows Hello, and supposedly the latest revision of Windows Hello is not vulnerable to this, but I haven't tried it. But as recent as like 2017, 2018, Windows Hello could be defeated by printing out a near IR photo of yourself and... Uh, with a laser printer, thermal laser printer, and posting it up on there. There are <laughs> there are quite a few Android phones that can be unlocked with a simple photo um, as well. And we've actually done this in engagements where we've unlocked phones, Android phones in particular, with using a photo that we found of the individual online. And they just left their work phone on their desk. So we're doing a physical entry. We saw, hey, there's a photo or there's we didn't say, hey, there's a photo. That would have been really nice. Uh, we saw we saw a locked uh, Android device. Uh, I forget what type it was. I actually I, I think it was one of the cheaper Samsung devices. This is a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so it was like a J7 or something like that. And. We saw the person's name on their desk. We're like, all right, let's go trolling, looking for photos. And we tried it with a few photos that we found online and it didn't work. Uh, But then we were able to print out this individual's LinkedIn photo and it did work. 
And I was like, all right, awesome. Wow. And yeah, it, it, it again, it, it doesn't work for every single device. Um, th- there's a whole nother conversation, which is totally out of the realm of this, dealing with privacy and, and the courts that can actually mandate that you unlock your device via biometrics or police can compel you to unlock your device with biometrics. And that's not what this conversation is is focused on there, though there is that component to it. But most mm-hmm. small businesses don't have to worry about that. Uh, but it is a some devices can be unlocked with your uh, photo that someone can find online. And it's not just a theoretical there's tons of news articles about this as well if you just Google for it. But it's something we've done before in the past. And that's why I'm – it's one of the reasons why I don't use biometrics for any of my devices. I'm, I'm – uh, I guess I would be the Luddite in this, in this particular instance. And I just use, you know, the standard 64-character code to unlock my phone. Hmm. So I think <laughs> – <laughs> I'm just going to not even acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think uh, an easy recommendation there is um, if you, if our listeners intend to use any sort of face unlock for a device that is not an Apple device using Face ID, uh, do a little research and see if that is really safe and if you want to take on that level of risk. Uh, let's talk about full disk encryption. If you're using Windows, you might be familiar with Bitdefender. If you're uh, a Mac person, you might be familiar with FileVault. They both accomplish the same thing. And that is before you unlock the, the hard drive, all of the contents of the hard drive are encrypted at rest. What does that mean? That what that means in practical terms is if you if you or one of your employees has a, a laptop that is forgotten, lost, or stolen, um, the bad guy who acquires that laptop will not be able to uh, interact with your files at all. They'll just have an encrypted blob, and this is. Um, it's very easy to use, highly recommend, and laptops get stolen all the time. All the time. <laughs> this is like the bare minimum if uh, you or allow your employees to have laptops off-premises. Yeah, the easy way to kind of sum this up is effectively, if you have full disk encryption on your devices, if your devices get stolen, it doesn't mean anything. Right, like none of the stuff on there is going to be accessible unless somebody knows the password. Yeah, you're only out the cost of the laptop. Exactly. Um, uh, this next recommendation um, goes back to the two-factor authentication that Chris was just talking about. It's uh, using a hardware token, uh, a YubiKey. Uh, what a YubiKey is, it's a small USB device which you plug into your computer and instead of getting a uh, two-factor push notification or entering a six-digit rotating pin, you just plug in the YubiKey and press a button and that authenticates you to whatever service supports it. I know I've been using YubiKeys for years. I'm assuming uh, both of you guys are as well yeah i definitely have a yubikey and i use it uh quite often uh even to log into my regular just user accounts on my computer it requires the yubikey nice yeah and what's nice about yubikeys is they're they're just so easy to use you plug them in you hit a button and just as normal people going about our lives we're pretty good at not losing physical things like wallets and car keys. So you can just think of your YubiKey as it's like a car key before your computer accounts. And they even have like the the newer versions of YubiKeys are so low profile that you can just leave them permanently plugged into your laptop. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like they literally protrude maybe a millimeter or two out the side 
And so, you know, when you're signing into something, you first type in your username and password. And then secondarily, you just tap this thing on the side of your on the side of your laptop and then you're authenticated. That you should absolutely do for your small business is set up Google Voice or a comparable service, which allows um, you as the business owner and your employees to all receive uh, phone calls and text messages as the business on your personal device. Um, it's incredibly convenient. Um, it helps with not doxing yourself. Yeah, I mean, the the point would be that you don't, you're, you're not giving away your personal phone number to run your business, right? Like Google Voice or comparable services are going to give you a separate phone number that when somebody texts or calls that phone number, it will still, still show up on your same phone. So it's a way for you to use the same phone with a new number Ergo, anything that is connected to your personal number is not going to be conflated with business. And then you are not yet giving out your personal information and making it easier to correlate like, oh, this party is the one that is running this phone. Now, outside of just your local computer, there are other items that you should be looking into to improve your general security posture. The biggest one is going to be what is your computer connecting to most of the time? It's going to be your network. So your network generally for most small businesses is going to be an all-in-one router access point switch type of item. And the first thing I would recommend that you do is change your admin or user passwords for that device. Make them secure. Remember, you don't have to remember them because you're just going to keep them in your KeyPass or LastPass uh, database but allow them uh, to have better resiliency than just the default credentials. Change your Wi-Fi password. A lot of folks will have a default one and they'll think it's super secure. Uh, one that I saw recently that I thought was quite hilarious before I changed it was actually on my parents. And it was super squirrels, like, gather nuts or something like that. Like that was the default <laughs> Wi-Fi password on this router. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like that's that's pretty legit. Uh, but I still recommend changing it to something. It could still be a phrase. It can be, you know, uh, large horses eat tons of hay. Uh, but don't it, use that it, password. Yeah, do not use any recommended password that we give out because it's just going straight <laughs> into a password list. Yep. Um, but it, it, it can be a phrase like that. And again, you can keep it in your key pass or, or your last pass database, but changing it so it's not the default. So there's no attack that, you know, uh, gathers all the default credentials from a particular set of access points derived from this manufacturer, which is an attack that has happened before uh, against uh, uh, Verizon modems. Uh, I know because I'm the one that found it. Uh, and so I could derive all the default passwords for their modems, uh, which is why we would recommend that you change your default Wi-Fi passwords. The other one, if you have a guest Wi-Fi, some access points have that, have a guest Wi-Fi, make sure you have a password on it. And if you have folks coming to your house, set up a guest Wi-Fi. Your access point might be able to do this just on itself, so it's not something that you have to buy extra. Uh, but you could just set up a guest Wi-Fi that is virtually separated from your regular network. And if you have individuals or friends that come over to your house or, or wherever you're doing your place of business and they're like, hey, do you have a Wi-Fi? You can give them that Wi-Fi and uh, they're not on the same network as your work computers are, as your employees' computers are, stuff like that. And then the last thing, as we talked about with your computer, you should always be updated. Make sure you're running the latest firmware on your router, access point, whatever. This is because there are attacks that come out that will affect your router that can be uh, you know, successful online from people you've never even met. They don't need to be in range of your Wi-Fi or anything. Uh, but with the latest firmware on your router and access point, it will prevent that more so than just running outdated firmware. So it is an extra step that you have to do. It's something that you have to you know, go and look for. It's not as streamlined as updating your Windows computer or your Mac computer, but it is something that can greatly improve your security posture. Or a resource that is 
available for free online, which we highly recommend. It will help you defend your small business against uh, phishing and social engineering. And that is the Know Before uh, YouTube channel. Um, Yeah, it's a great resource that you can use to educate yourself and your employees on how to avoid being fished and how not to be susceptible to social engineering. And just to throw on there, there's another great online free resource. And this will be the the last thing before we close out here. uh, A personal shill. Another great free resource online is this podcast. Uh, So continue listening. We have a bunch of episodes we've talked about in depth. A lot of the things that we've covered here just just touched on here, like social engineering, phishing, passwords, VPN. So any one of these things, if you are further curious about knowing how these work and how they're actually going to protect you, we highly recommend going back and listening to those as well. The three takeaways for today's show are one, there are so many good free options for security. There's no excuse not to use them. They're also fairly easy to use. Two, when you have more than one person in your business, items get more complex, but it is worth the small hassle. And three, security in your small business starts with you, the owner, and if you are not pushing a security culture in your business, no one else will. Wrapping up, we hope you've learned about some new items around improving your security posture for your small business. There was a lot of info thrown out at you, so listen to this episode two to three times. We will also have notes in the appendix with a quick breakdown of this episode in a graphical format to make things even easier for you. These small items will set you apart from your competition and will provide both you and your client better peace of mind. These are also the basic requirements for those larger six and seven figure contracts that hopefully come your way soon. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask them on any of our social media accounts. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting, and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or give us a rating on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at SecExplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe.